You're listening to the 7th Avenue Project. More information at 7thAvenueProject.com. It's time for the 7th Avenue Project. I'm your host, Robert Polly. On this edition of the show, Voices from the Hall. We'll pay a visit to the Santa Cruz County Juvenile Hall, meet some of the teens there, and get to know a side of them the public doesn't normally see, courtesy of a writing program for incarcerated youth called The Beat Within. We'll learn all about it in this hour, so stay tuned. And now for today's show. It's Friday night, a week before Christmas, when I drop by Santa Cruz Juvenile Hall. I imagine teens elsewhere are partying, kicking with friends, enjoying time off from school. But not these kids. A couple dozen boys are seated in a circle in what looks like a big classroom discussion. The instructors are Dennis Morton and Jill Wolfson. So will someone volunteer uh, a lesson that was learned uh, the hard way, but something, something that happened that you really did learn something from? Do I have a hand here? Yeah. The kids seem pretty eager to participate, sharing experiences from their own lives. There's a good feeling here, an easy rapport between the adults and teens that I suspect some parents and high school teachers would envy. Some of the answers the kids offer may seem a little too easy, too glib. And when that's the case, Dennis and Jill challenge them to dig deeper and take a harder look at themselves. So how many times have you been in here? You've lost track. Some people would ask the question, then, did you really learn the lesson? Yeah? So this is going to be it? Our county has its share of juvenile crime, from small stuff to drug and alcohol violations, all the way up to vicious gang attacks and killings. But sitting here tonight, it is hard for me to imagine there's any connection between those grim police reports in the local papers and these earnest-looking students in front of me. So... Perhaps nobody in here has really learned that lesson because here you are. We haven't hit that rock bottom part yet. You haven't hit rock bottom. Yeah. Hmm. After about a half hour of discussion, the kids break into smaller groups. They'll write about assigned subjects and get some hands-on help from Jill and Dennis. It's all part of a program called The Beat Within. It consists of writing workshops like this one, held in juvenile halls in the Bay Area and beyond, and a weekly magazine that publishes the kids' writing. Well, today on the 7th Avenue Project, we're going to learn more about the program from Dennis Morton and Jill Wolfson, and we'll hear the voices of teens I talked to at Juvenile Hall. First, a little background on Jill and Dennis. Dennis Morton is a writer and teacher and well-known to many of you listeners as the host of KUSP's Poetry Show, heard right here every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Jill Wolfson is a journalist and writer, author of three books of young adult fiction, and co-author of Somebody Else's Children, The Courts, The Kids, the struggle to save America's troubled families. Let's go to the interview. So is this a typical example of what you two do at Juvenile Hall, lead these groups that remind me of a combination of um, writing workshops and group therapy? I think that's a really good way to put it. I I think it's um, a combination of getting, helping the kids look at their lives, formulate answers to some really interesting questions, and then maybe even getting the the thoughts down on paper, which is the next step. We heard uh, Dennis leading that session. We heard your voice, Jill, in the background. Um, Dennis, your approach um, strikes me as the, the definition of tough love. <laughs> really? <laughs> it, uh, I've never had that applied to me before, tough love. I'm, a, I'm more of a pushover, I would think. Well, it seems like you, you push these kids to um, to go beyond the easy answers and maybe, um, as we heard in that session there, be a little bit self-critical? I, I think I might have been a bit uh, harder in that session, uh, though I didn't even recall it until I heard you play it. So, <laughs> well, well, today in the course of um, this show, we're going to hear from some of the kids in Juvenile Hall themselves talking about their lives and, and the writing that they work on with you guys. And first, I really was curious to know how they think they're perceived 
by people in the world outside. So I asked one of the kids there, his name is Ulysses. I know how many people might look at us, many people that are um, young delinquents, they might look at them as um, uh, young people who are, who are just, they don't care about life. That I mean, they, they'll hurt anybody if, if you know, if, if that's what they want. It, it'll be easy for them to, you know, to rob you or stab you or anything like that. Um, I might say that they got it all wrong, you know, we're just troubled, troubled juveniles. I mean, we... Yeah, troubled juveniles. Yeah, we have some trouble, you know, backgrounds with family problems. And, I mean, there's part part of it comes with gangs, but, I mean, being in gangs doesn't really make you a bad person. It's a whole different world back there. So you think people, um, like the general public, has an image of, of the, the youths in here as being sort of like really dangerous? Yeah. Kind of monsters? Yeah. Um, Jill and Dennis, um, what were your preconceptions the first time you guys stepped into juvenile halls, I guess more than a decade ago, started working there? Well, I had been urged to uh, consider doing this work by a friend, and I resisted for months and months. I didn't think it was anything I could possibly do. So I thought it was uh, kind of uh, beyond me. And finally, to quiet my friend, I went up with her to the hall one day and uh, seriously, literally within a second or so of seeing the kids, I not only fell in love with them, but uh, knew that I could do the work. Mm. Did you expect to meet uh, scary people? I didn't have that expectation. I had the expectation that uh, that any kind of teaching or quasi-teaching or, or, or working with uh, children was somehow beyond me. I had no problem talking individually with kids, but in a group I thought that's not something that's not something I can do. Jill? Well, I, I went into it in a different way. I, I would, my first time in juvenile hall was as a reporter and going in and reporting on the system. And I remember walking into a high-security um, unit for the first time, and the guards there put a, a bracelet on me with a thing to pull just in case I was attacked. That was an alarm. That It was an alarm yeah. to go off because they had had – this was not in Santa Cruz. This was in Santa Clara County many years ago. Um, and – that set up the feeling that I was going to have. And I think I went in like most people um, with conceptions of these are really scary, dangerous people. They're, um, you don't turn your back on them. You watch them. And um, I remember that feeling of having these eyes on me walking into a classroom and having these eyes on me sullen eyes, um, hard eyes. And it took me just a little bit of time to just relax around it and then say, and then to see these are, these are people, these are kids who have done some things that were wrong, but they're, they're basically kids. Some of them are kids behind the headlines we see about youth violence and gang violence and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Ulysses there, uh, who we'll hear from again later in the show, um, spoke about the world they come from, these juvenile offenders, to use the legal term, and how people don't understand it. Um, I wanted to introduce us to uh, another of the kids there. His name is Javier, and uh, he's going to talk about a piece he wrote for The Beat Within, the program and the publication you two work with. So he's going to read that and then talk a little bit about the world that uh, maybe a lot of people don't know and that these kids do? Um, the title is I'm Back. And, you know, I was just kind of feeling down when I started writing this one. Like, it was in one of my first weeks when I barely came back. And I just decided to put it on a paper and express my feelings. So this is how it goes. It says, I'm back after a stormy rain. 
Later's books exercise helped me cope with my pain. It's good to be closer home. It was only me and my shadow when I was all alone. Different personalities and faces captured by the mirror. The pillow I slept on kept a lot of dreams and tears. Tears that have accumulated over these years. So, again, this poem is called uh, I'm Back yeah. Here in the Hall, you mean? Yeah. So you wrote it after you got back here? Yeah, that's why. Like The first week I got back, kind of stressing it, so... Yeah, decided to write it. Um, it says, uh, letters, books, and exercise help you cope with the pain. What, yeah. what sort of things are you reading these days? Uh, right now I'm reading uh, uh, The Fallen Angels. It's about the war in Vietnam, so it's really interesting. There's a lot of action, and there's a lot of sad parts to it, so, you know, kind of balances it out, so it's cool. Do you relate to the sad parts? Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot. But you still got to keep my head up. Can't just let that bring me down. It's about war. Do you think um do you think of your life in terms of war at all or is that Yeah. Streets. You... So the street, streets are like that, man. Just like the war. But I mean there's more artillery over there. There's more guns, there's more stuff like but you know it's you can see it like a war, you know. Everybody walks in their own shoes. People know what they've gone through and yeah, you can say it's like a war. Mm. Does that square with um, your experience that a lot of these kids see the world they came from on the streets as, as a kind of war? Yes, for sure. Um, kind of listening to that and listening to your question, I was thinking about the times that we'll have a question about death or about loss, and we'll kind of say, how many here have lost somebody they loved, had somebody die young or die violently? And what shocked me originally was pretty much every hand goes up. And I don't think you would find that with every group of kids. You know, here we are in a, in a, in a group of young people. All of them have experienced violent loss at such a young age and having to deal with that. So many have lost friends, parents, family members. And this is what they live with. This is like the reality of everyday life. Every several months, I will ask them this question. I'll, I'll say, all right, if you were released today and you wanted to get your hands on a gun, how long would it take you? And easily the majority of the kids say, and I, I believe them, that they could get their hands on a gun within a day. A day. A gun. There are two worlds here in Santa Cruz, the one that a lot of us know, the peaceful beach town, and then this other one that's like a war zone for some of the, the younger people, I guess. At, at the bottom of all of this is, uh, is poverty, really. Most of these kids are coming from families where there just isn't enough to go around, and usually it's a single-parent family, often the mother, although I've, I know some some of the children have been raised by their, their fathers, um, but again, single families for the most part. It's difficult. Well, another of the kids um, spoke directly to, to what Jill just said about having witnessed, having um, been close to a lot of deaths, deaths of friends. He spoke to me about going to funerals and how he felt at the funerals. This is Ronnie. And I feel like like when like when some one of my friends die, like they have a funeral, right? And it's like it's like everyone like everyone cries, like everyone like gives them love, you know what I mean? And I think like I want that kind of love. I wanna die. I wanna die too. I want I want I want I want everybody to cry for me and show me love and you know what I mean? I wanna die like that. I wanna, you know what I mean? Like that's how I feel like I wanna die. You wanna die. Because that's a time afterwards that people really care about you. Yeah, to do get you, that care and love. Do you when you're alive, you don't feel like you don't feel like you don't get love or care. Do you think that's why some kids go out and get killed that way? I don't know. Like I, don't, I can't like tell people's minds, but that's me. Hmm. Like that's me. I'm laughing because it's just so it's just so shocking and um 
to kind of conceive of that that's the way a kid thinks about getting love and attention. That's his, that's his option. Just horrifying and shocking. Much of what we hear comes when we talk one-on-one with uh, the kids. And there, there's not a session that goes by that you don't hear something that uh, sort of makes you want to break down right away. I, sometimes I'll cry right in front of the kids, actually. Uh, I used to hold it back and race out of the facility and uh, cry out there. But something like that, th- that's that's stronger than perhaps we normally hear. But we hear powerful, horrible stories uh, that are so moving. They don't have too much trouble with the 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 elder in the group you... Showing that much emotion. <laughs> I I once had a boy walk out of the room, but five minutes later, he came back <laughs> into the room. Uh, most of the time, what happens, I, I, don't, it, I don't break into tears often, but on the occasions that I, that I have, uh, they're saying, they're amazed that a man is crying. And uh, I say, well, well, of course I'm crying. We, if we... We cry because we have uh, the capacity to cry. Uh, it washes our eyes and it releases our emotions, and that's what that's what tears are for. And uh, they think of that. Jill, what do you do when you hear something heartbreaking? Um, I I'm kind of the mom figure in the group, and sometimes I'll get teary eyed, and I let that happen, and I notice they'll start trying to take care of me. Um, right away, just say it's okay. It's okay. I, I'm handling it. I no need to get upset. And 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 my reaction to that is, I I say, but this is a normal reaction to the story you just told me. I, I mean, I think they don't get that a lot. They don't get how sad their li- their their story is. And I think it's okay to show them a really honest reaction that it is sad and and scary. Seems like that kind of empathy is part of your role there. It's not just as writing instructors. I, you know, I write for a living, but I consider the writing secondary to my role there. Um, I, when I first started, I just I had this goal of like I want everybody to write every time the school marm in me came out, and I just realized that it, it, it's it is what it's about, and it's not what it's about, and. Uh, just talking, honestly, is is my goal. Um, at, at least some of the kids were quite willing to talk to me in the interviews I did about feelings. Though they're good at putting up a tough exterior, you can tell that they really care. Uh, we heard a moment ago from Javier, and we're going to hear from him again right now, talking about another of his poems and um, about his mother. And uh, this other poem, you know, it was just a regular day just kind of mellow and I thought about my mom and what she's probably going through right now and it's uh, it's called If If tears were red I know my mom's pillowcase would be a bloody mess from all the pain I've caused her to locate in her chest we can't only take so much until our knees bend forgive me Hefa that I couldn't be the best just thought about my mom right there and kind of putting myself in her position and I thought about if I had a kid and I had to go through the same thing, it would be bad. It says, forgive me, Heffa, that I couldn't be the best. Heffa means... Mother. Mother. Yeah. It can mean boss, too. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. It could mean both. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you show this one to your mom? No, I haven't. Are you going to? Uh, yeah. <laughs> she might shed a few more tears when she reads this one. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of afraid of, too. So she, when she might read it, she might just break down and I don't want to see that because I've seen her break down a lot of times since I've been here court dates things they said at the court and I just kind of want to keep her away from all the tears shedding mm. just make her happy in ways you know but the the poem is an expression of, of the fact that you care about her so yeah I love my mom come on like 
She raised me since I was a little kid. Even if she ever did stuff I didn't like, I knew she did it because it was for my own good. And I was just a little knucklehead that wouldn't pick up those those words and put them together, you know. But like after all, she did kick a lot of sense into my head, and I'm really grateful for having a good supporter. Just because a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people don't have a mother to guide them, uh, support them mentally, physically. So I'm really happy for having her like that. It's the bless. That was Javier, a teen uh, in the Santa Cruz County Juvenile Hall, today on the 7th Avenue Project here on KUSP. We're listening to voices from Juvenile Hall that are coming to us uh, as part of a program called The Beat Within. It's a series of writing workshops that are taught in juvenile halls in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, Monterey Bay Area. And the works that the kids produce are published in a magazine called The Beat Within. I'm joined by Jill Wolfson and Dennis Morton, two instructors, if that's the right word, two leaders of these Beat Within workshops in Santa Cruz County Juvenile Hall. Uh, The Beat Within, the publication that uh, some of the poems that we're hearing are actually published in, comes out how often? comes out once a week. It's really an amazing, amazing thing that once a week there's a 40 to 50, 60 page magazine where writing is published and then circulates to other juvenile halls. So the kids actually get to read the work of other kids. And then each thing that the kids publish gets an adult response. So there's an adult there giving the giving the writer something to think about, a way to look at their own writing. I said it comes out of juvenile halls in the San Francisco Bay Area, down through Monterey uh, Bay Area. Is that right? It's it's also in several other states, but not all over the states. Oh, I didn't realize it wasn't strictly a Northern California phenomenon. Well, what will happen is that uh, sometimes uh, folks will be working with the beat and they'll move to another state and they'll get the idea to um, to get a, uh, a unit of the beat within going at the local juvenile hall. That's That's how that normally happens. And as I understand it, each week you two bring copies of this publication to Juvenile Hall right? for the kids to see their own work and and the work of other youths who are in detention. uh, That's exactly right. And also the the magazine goes into prisons, adult prisons. So the back of the magazine has a section called The Beat Without, which is adult prisoners writing what life in, in the big time is really like, sort of cautionary tales. And a a lot of times, it's an odd thing to say, but kids will glamorize what the real prisons are like. And they get to read what it's really like by people who are there. Hmm. I have to say, among the kids that I talk to, and we'll hear more of them today, no one seemed to think Juvenile Hall was particularly glamorous. In fact, a lot of them pretty much had the same mood as as Javier, who we just heard, pretty down about being there, often very sad about disappointing their families. I think um, some people might imagine that the kids who are associated with some of the crimes we read about um, might not have much regret or remorse. I I think most of them have uh, remorse, not all of them, but eventually they reach the point where they they know they've gotten themselves into a very, very serious situation. And uh, again, I think there's as much variation in response uh, among the kids as there is uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, Some kids get it sooner. Some kids get it later. Some kids don't get it at all. Let's listen to another interview I did with one of the kids there. And this time, an exceptional one. She's a girl. Um, My name is Samantha. I'm 16 years old. I'm incarcerated in the juvenile hall. (laughs) How long have you been here? Um, a month and a half. How do you like it? I don't like it. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> tell me um, tell me just a little bit about life here for you. Inside the juvenile hall? Yeah. Well, wake up every day, sweep out our rooms, and I see the same faces every day. We get these plain, boring colors, and I look like a pickle. <laughs> a pickle, because you got a green sweatshirt. Yeah, but... I mean, it's just boring. It's nowhere any kid should be. So, um, it looks like school. I gotta say, it looks just like a school. 
a big locked up school. <laughs> yeah, I can think of it that way. But the other thing is, um, there aren't many girls here. No, I'm the only one. Only one right now. Yeah. <laughs> how, how many guys are there? Um, let's say like 23, 24. 23 guys, one girl. So what's that like? Well, I don't know. I was like a lot of guys in here are like my brothers. So it's it's kind of fun. I get attention. <laughs> I like attention. Did you know them before you came or is it just because you've gotten some, to know them? Yeah. Some and some I've gotten to know in here. So it's, They're all great people. Um, why don't you um, tell me about um, and introduce this piece and then read it if you're willing. Um, so a poem I wrote called Always and Forever. It goes, never say I love you if you really don't care. Never talk about feelings if they aren't really there. Never hold my hand if you are going to break my heart. Never say you're going to if you don't plan to start. Never look into my eyes if all you do is lie. Never say hi if you really mean goodbye. If you really mean forever, then say you will try. Never say forever because forever makes me cry. Mm. So, I'm interested in that last line. Never say forever because forever makes me cry. <laughs> How come? Because forever is not promised. And so when you get your hopes up for anything, especially forever, like let's say, oh, my mom's going to live forever and she does it. Your hopes are getting poured down and you should you should know ahead of time what, what to expect. So I'm going to expect forever. Like it's not going to happen with this relationship with the guy because I have plenty of years to come. So I don't like that word. <laughs> How do you feel about that piece now that you've written it? I feel like a lot of girls, even guys, could reach out to this pro to this poem and like express themselves through it. Cause some people don't have like can't write words easy down. I know a lot of people are going through what I'm going through or have, and so it's a good poem to send to someone or show to them. <laughs> did it come easy, or or did did you have to work on it? It came easy. I could write poems like back of my head it's just a talent I have <laughs> you've written quite a few more yeah you're doing it all the time yeah well I have nothing in time in here so I just write away <laughs> <laughs> do you have any um, uh, writing that you read that, that influences you? Do, you do you read stuff do you read poems someone I admire is Luis Rodriguez I don't know if you've heard of him yeah I admire him a lot so yeah. how he expresses himself it's really great mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the workshops uh, mm-hmm. That you know the beat within workshops that you participate in here. Well, Dennis is great because I know like a lot of us we can't sit there and like share and be able to like to back each other up on stuff. So when we have the workshop, the beat, we soak girl around, we read the subjects. It gives everyone opportunity just to like like lash out their opinions on the subject and to say what we have to say and feel how we're able to feel like we can feel however we want. And I think it just helps a lot of kids in here when that happens once a week. Uh, speaking of opinions, there's another piece here. Mm-hmm. Again, say the title of this one and read it. It's called Lock Me Up. It says, man, I got a few things to say about police. Police. <laughs> I wish I had good things to say, but they've given me nothing but bad things to preach. In my opinion, the police are racist. In juvenile hall, we got one white kid maybe once a month. And the large parts of Santa Cruz County have nothing but white people, and that's my opinion. It's, it's true. <laughs> so, so you're a Latina kid, and you're saying that it's mainly Latinos who are in the juvenile hall. Mm-hmm. What, what prompted you to write that one? Uh, was there something in particular? Was it just a feeling you'd had for a long time? It's just that feeling I carry every day when I'm walking out there on the streets. Or I'm at school. Even when I'm in here, I think about it. It's just how I feel. Well, how does it feel to be published? In the beat? Yeah. It makes me happy because not only is everyone in here reading it, but like six other juvenile halls, people are reading it. So it's just a great feeling. Do you read the beat? Mm-hmm. Like every little piece I do, I'll sit in my room and just read through it. <laughs> I get to read how everybody feels in here. Like, and I'm like, wow, like stuff I never even thought I would read is like in there. And like, I'm impressed. People are willing to write things they aren't willing to say. Mm-hmm. And then when you read it, you would never think. And Dennis always comes in all happy with his beads and oranges and his good old smile and just, like, makes my spirit go all high. It's the only time I'm, like, really happy. Mm-hmm. 
So that was Samantha, um, a teen at Santa Cruz County Juvenile Hall, talking about the Beat Within workshops and publication that she's taken part in and that are led by my guests today, Jill Wolfson and Dennis Morton. Dennis, you got some mentions there. And Jill, I should say you did too, just didn't make it into that cut. Um, you're both smiling. Yeah, I you know, I as as I was listening to some of this, I was thinking about how kind of a lot of this interview has been about sadness mm-hmm. and um really distressing subjects, but a lot of times when I walk out of the beat, it I've had some of the biggest belly laughs that I've had all week. I mean, there's just a lot of wonderful energy and really funny things come up and it's a great chance for the kids to to laugh too, to laugh at things that they remember and laughs at mistakes they make writing and laugh at great raps they write. So there's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sammy, is, is, that's her, her actual nickname, uh, is obviously someone who doesn't need a lot of poking and prodding to, to write. Do most of the kids take to the writing or is it sometimes difficult to get them to write their, their feelings down? Again, that is as varied as it is on the outside. There are people who like to write, people who don't like to write. I used to try, as as Jill mentioned earlier, I used to try to get everybody to write. But uh, just as Jill said, I, I've long since come to the conclusion that the most important thing that happens is the relationship, however uh, short it may be, that you create with the kids is the most important part. Mm-hmm. And if you get some writing out of it, wonderful. <laughs> But um, I noticed, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this many times over, there's a certain pride that comes with having written something and especially having it published in this this magazine. Yeah, it's um, it's a wonderful shift of identity for the kids. You know, so many of them have gone through life as they're the screw-up, they're the bad student, they're the gangbanger, they're the this, the, you know, all the negative stuff. And in the beat, they're the writer, they're the published author, and it's you know, if anybody has wants to get published and knows what that feeling is like and to finally get published, it's, it's a great feeling. And um, they love the idea. They see it published and they think about all the people who are, who are reading it. People in San Quentin are reading it. Judges are reading it. Probation officers are reading it. It's, um, it's, a, it's a high. Mm. Sammy, um mentioned what I would think is uh, one of the elephants in the room, and that is the fact that all the kids, or virtually all of them, are Latino. That was true when I visited, 100%. What do you guys have to say to that? Um, statistically, you know, across the U.S., that's that's the case. Not Latino, but kids of color. It's um, the population of prisons and juvenile detention centers are heavily, heavily slanted towards kids of color, people of color. Um, I know that Santa Cruz County, the juvenile hall here, is actually a model for for shifting that. Um, but it's still, it's still, you do see more dark faces than you see white faces. It's the reality of it. And I think the reality, again, is that underneath it all is poverty. And um, so long as poverty exists, we're going to see uh, the consequences in the form of the children of poverty in uh, juvenile halls and go on, many of them, to prison. Jill, you mentioned that um, Santa Cruz County is regarded as a model county in terms of juvenile justice um, because, among other things, it has cut the population in juvenile halls, I understand it, by 50% or more in the last decade or so. In other words, it's diverted kids who get mm-hmm. into legal troubles away from detention and into alternatives. So only a, a small subset of those kids who find themselves in mm-hmm. trouble with the law actually end up in juvenile hall, which is why it feels kind of empty when you're there, yeah? I mean, there's a lot of room there, Yeah, unoccupied I'm, rooms. I've watched the population shrink. Um, there's a lot of diversion programs in the county, a lot of diversion um ways to keep kids in the community, which all the studies say are better for, you know, for for everyone, for the kids themselves, for the community in terms of, um, in terms of cost factor, uh, in terms of um, 
kids repeating crimes, keeping kids in the community, around family, around support systems is good. Mm. Well, we've heard some interviews today um, with youths in Juvenile Hall that are pretty poignant. Um, but I wanted to make it clear that uh, they're thinking of the future in positive ways, too, some of them at least, about getting out. Uh, <laughs> thumbs up, Jill. <laughs> You're hoping yes, for the same. Yes. So I wanted to hear um, Samantha again, or Sammy as she's known, um, talk about the way she sees her life shaping up. What are your thoughts on your future at this point? You got plans? Oh, yeah, I have plans. I have a lot of potential, you know. I plan on going to college, even if it's not Yellow Harvard, at least community college at Cabrillo. And, you know, I want to do cosmetology. And I have so much stuff I want to do, but it just takes time. How about writing? Writing. It's something that I'm going to, like, try and, like, forward as, like, my future job or goal, but it's something I'm going to carry on through life. And I'm going to keep writing because that's what helps me get through my days. You write every day? Mm-hmm. You do, really? Mm-hmm. You must have a lot of poems. Or is it mostly poems? Poems and just like how I feel, I just write it down. It just helps. Anything that comes to mind, I just jot it down on paper. What's the longest thing you've written? Um, a poem of my life story, starting from 12 up to 16. Oh, I wish you had that here right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Can you remember any of it? No, not by heart, but it's, it's good. Why did you start at 12? Because at 12, that's when I took a downhill. Do you know now what, what made that happen when you were so young and 12 years old? Mm-hmm. I was around bad environment, and what I saw is what I did. That's what I learned, so. But now I know as I get older, like, I have all these people in here to help me and the system to help me, so they give me all this, like, these, like, people that help you and make you understand, so I'm starting to be a little bit more wiser. Well, there's some hope. Yes. Do you guys have any follow-up? Do you know what becomes of the kids who you get to know in this program after they leave Juvenile Hall? I wish I knew more, but um, talking about wonderful thrills, uh, the best thing is when you are walking down the street in Santa Cruz and somebody, you hear this yell, hey, beat lady or poetry lady, <laughs> something like that, and and you see a young man who's no longer a teenager. And this happened, you know, in, in the grocery store. And a young man came up and just gave me this big hug. I didn't know who he was. And he was a Beat Within participant from, you know, probably eight years ago. And he told me about his life and he has his job and he was getting married and he wanted to know if maybe he could come up and talk to the kids at in a Beat Within workshop. And that was just such a, a great thrill. And I wish I knew more. I wish I knew more stories. Dennis, do you have a tangible sense that you're you're making changes in lives? Well, now and then something like that does happen. Uh, it... it uh, it happened in San Jose not too long ago. A young man said, hey, aren't you the Beat Within guy? And he was walking with his dad, and I asked him how he, he was doing. He said, I'm doing great. And he remembered uh, the, the Beat Within. You do this in San Jose also, San Jose I do Juvenile two Hall. gigs over there on mm. Thursday evening, yeah. And I want to remind listeners that uh, this is the 7th Avenue Project on Central Coast Public Radio, KUSP. I'm Robert Polly. And I'm talking today to Jill Wolfson and Dennis Morton, two of the um, instructors in a program called The Beat Within, which takes place in juvenile halls in Northern California and elsewhere in the nation, uh, where kids in juvenile halls get to uh, participate in writing workshops, and their writing is published in a weekly publication called The Beat Within. And we're also listening today to some interviews I did at Santa Cruz County Juvenile Hall with some of the kids who participated in the program. We just heard from uh, Samantha again, and, and one of the things that struck me in talking to her and some of the other kids there is hearing someone say, in retrospect, someone who's not even in her late teens yet, say in retrospect, that's when my life started going downhill, age of 12, trying to um, analyze the source of, of failures and things like that that there's this sense of their their biographies that's uh, maybe a little more dramatic and more fully developed than one would expect of kids their age, you know? Yeah, I, I noticed a lot of 
desire to figure it out, to figure out where that fork was for them. Um, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the questions will ask, and I like to ask questions about, tell me about a time that was happy for you. Tell me about a pet that you had. Tell me about, a, you know, a fun time with your family. And I notice they have to go much further back in their in their lives and say my my own children have to go and they they hit a point where they say they frequently say that yeah and that's that's when i got into drugs that's when the gang stuff started there there does seem to be a strong point in their mind where they feel like they went wrong and i think they're attempting to try to figure out now what now, how at age 16 do you do that do you turn things around i i find that it's often a lot a long time before the age of 12 sometimes they'll talk about uh, 6 7 years of age uh, when they began to start missing school and many of these children have uh, mothers who are working two jobs just to pay the the rent and to try to put enough food on the on the table and uh, they're lacking the kinds of things that many many of us take for granted that children have, uh, but these kids haven't had it. Javier, um, among others that we've heard today, has spoke about the, the, the stress, the pressure. Um, and um, as we'll hear in this next piece, um, some of these kids uh, are really um, carrying a lot of weight, a big load, for their age. This is Ronnie again, who we heard earlier, and um, he's going to read a piece that he wrote for The Beat Within. I have to remind myself, my mind is messed up, I can't think, I can't eat, these demons in my head try to take me in my sleep. When I dream, I feel like my mind's playing tricks on me, but when I wake up, I'm stuck in a cell, it kind, of, it kind of reminds me of my own hell. I have to remind myself that I am here, I have to give myself a chance to make my mind clear, but when I look in the mirror, I see these demons all around me, and that's what I fear. What made you write that particular piece? Cause like, I'm stuck in the cell, and like, I'm stuck in the cell, and I'm always locked up, and I, you know what I mean? Like, I like I don't always dream about demons. How you say um? Nightmares. I just have nightmares about like being in here. Like, when I dream, it feels everything feels real. I'm 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 in juvenile hall. I wake up in the morning, I take a shower and come back. I come I come back from the shower, go to my room, go to breakfast, like the same routine we do in here, but I'm dreaming. And then when I wake up, it's the same thing. You know what I mean? And I'm always I'm always locked up, I'm I'm not out and like feel like I'm in hell, you know what I mean? That that's how mm. yeah. Do you ever have good dreams? Yeah. Sometimes. What are they like? When I dream like dream about being out with my family. Okay, you know, my girlfriend, like, feels all real, like, feels all real, but when I wake up, I open my eyes, I see myself in here in the cell, like, fuck, it's not gonna happen, Just, I don't know. Um, what did it feel like to write that piece? Good. I make a little poem, you know, make a little poem how I feel, and, I don't know, just wanted to share out there. So what are you thinking about writing uh, in the future? What kinds of subjects? Kind of subjects, yeah. About my life, mm. about what I've been through. I don't know. Planning, planning to um, write a book or something, like write a write my write my own book. About your life, yeah. About my life. Fifteen years old, and you got enough to fill a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not a big book, but like you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Book, yeah. A lot of them do have enough to fill a book. At age fifteen, the things that they've been through that 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 most of us can't even begin to imagine. Mm. We've often encouraged them to write a biography, the story of their lives, to go back when they remember the most, and to just uh, move on. and And sometimes um, we get five or six installments, um, maybe a year at a time, and it, the stories are amazing. You're both writers yourselves. Um, how do you feel about writing as a tool for self-understanding? 
I mean, it, it sounds like a cliche. I almost embarrassed having said it that way. But uh, does it work that way for these kids? I, I think so. I mean, cliches start somewhere. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, I know from my own experience, writing's been, you know, a way to examine my own experience and my own deepest thoughts and and the world around me and to kind of take the chaos of the world. And these kids live in chaos and to and to try to put it into some sort of form that you can begin, maybe just begin to understand and maybe just get a little distance from so you can see your role in it and the role of the world in it. I often tell the kids that there are the, the two most effective things they can do if they are feeling down is, A, find someone with whom you can share what's on your mind, someone who may, won't make a judgment about it, and uh, if that's not possible, then get a piece of paper and a pencil and write about it. That's like talking to yourself about it. And it, you'll feel maybe not great afterwards, but you'll feel less bad. Let's uh, hear another interview. This one, again, is with a teen who's in Santa Cruz County Juvenile Hall. My name is Daniel. And I'm in the hall. <laughs> and you're a writer. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Do you think of yourself that way? Um, when the outside really wouldn't think myself like that, but since I come here, I can see I'm a little bit creative on that. First time you've thought that about yourself? Oh, uh, yeah, actually, yeah. The writing? The writing is the yeah. first time. Well, why don't you read um, uh, one of these pieces that you wrote and that was published in The Beat Within, the magazine we're talking about. Um, why don't you read this one here called Like? Right. Yeah. Right. The air smelled like blossom at noon. It was like a ghost I couldn't see. When I sleep, I hear a voice that tells me to trust my heart. Every morning at the hall, I read a novel to get past this evil nightmare and soon get a ticket home. So the air smelled like blossoms at noon. It was like a ghost I couldn't see. You can smell the, the outside, but you can't get there. Yeah. Is that the feeling? Yeah, I can smell it, but I just can't reach it. Can't. It's a wall between us. Mm. Um, let's hear another one, uh, and this one maybe relates to uh, relates directly to being in here and uh, how people get here. Um, someone else's shoes. If I were to put someone else's shoes on, it would be a judge. What I would like to see is that, that judge judge based on the law. I know that some judges give chances, but they sentence people to death, maybe not knowing that they have a family. I understand that a murder case is serious, but even murderers have family that they care about and who care about them. It's wrong to sentence people to death. Um, so it's about that you would like to actually uh, be in the position of a judge. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we. You've stood before judges. Yeah, little court. What's that feel like? Um, I don't feel good behind in those chains. Now that I'm in here and I go to court, uh, I'm in chains and it's not a good feeling. It's sure, not a good feeling to my family too. You mean in, in the handcuffs? Yeah, handcuffs. Hmm. Let's talk about the last one. Nah, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to read that one. You don't want to read that one. <laughs> nah. Tell me why you don't want to read this one. I don't know. It's just, it's just a little story that uh, happened when I was like, like ten years old, and I just thought about it. Just decided to write about it that day. Yeah. Uh, but why don't you want to read it? You you read the other two. How come you don't want yeah, to? Yeah, I don't one? know. It's just embarrassing on that one. I don't know. It's embarrassing because it's about being young and being yeah. a kid and yeah, kind been of, a kid, little kind of knucklehead, little kid. Sentimental. Yeah. Hey, can I read it? Yeah. You don't mind? Won't uh, embarrass you? Nah, it won't. Okay. I just don't read it. Okay. So it's called My Dog, and this one was published on the front page of the Beat Within. Yep. When I was little, I had a dog called Solo. He was a great dog. One day we went out to the store, and when we came back, our dog was not there anymore. Me and my mom got in the van and went searching for him on the streets. We searched the neighborhood, but we didn't find him. We expected him to come back on his own by the end of the day, but he didn't. The next day we went to the animal shelter to see if they had picked him up. We gave them the information, and they let us check the pound. And there he was, two doors on the left. They wanted to charge us $300 to retrieve him, but we just didn't have that kind of money. We talked with mom, but she didn't have it, and we didn't argue. 
So he had to leave him there. And that was the last time I saw him. But he was a great dog. Yeah. Hey, why, why are you embarrassed to read that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I tell you, it made me sad. Um, what's it feel like for you to write these things down? Mm-hmm. There's some pretty personal things here. Yeah. Um, in the outs, I wouldn't really do this kind of things. Now that I'm in here, I think a lot. A lot about my family, a lot about everything. So, like when the beat comes, uh, I kind of sometimes look forward to it. Depends on topics, you know. And like some topics um, attracts me. And I just start throwing whatever comes to my head. And it's just interesting. I just get to see my own writing. Mm. And I like it. That was the voice of Daniel, a teen in the Santa Cruz County Juvenile Hall, talking about... um, his writing and his work in the Beat Within program, which is the subject of uh, this show today on the 7th Avenue Project. And just uh, one bit of slang that I wanted to uh, explain for the audience, the outs. Daniel spoke of the outs. That's outside of prison, outside of juvenile hall. Yeah, Yeah. outside. Dennis, you're the one who um, gave me a copy of those three poems or those three pieces of writing and the one that embarrassed Daniel, my dog. (laughs) That's the one that was chosen as piece of the week. Piece of the week by the beat within. I think I I know why they chose it. Why do you think that is? Well, I think they saw a connection between maybe Daniel's situation and that of the poor abandoned dog stuck in the kennel. Truthfully, I had not gone that far with it. I was... I was stuck with the uh, sad story uh, and having to say goodbye to uh, a creature that he loved and not arguing with his mom about the money. He knew she didn't have it. Daniel has seems to have the feeling that he should have put away childish things already, and he's still a kid, you know? Yes. <laughs> oh, there are... Robert, there are so many, as Jill said, there are a lot of things that make you laugh when you do this work, but there are so many stories that, am I ready for another one like this? But in fact, um, I've never questioned uh, that I want to go back for more, ever. Never. Well, let's hear one last um, sample from an interview I did at Juvenile Hall. This one is with the very first kid we heard, Ulysses, who began the show by talking about how people outside might perceive some of the kids at Juvenile Hall. Here, uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about him and hear some of his writing. I am an invisible man in the hall. I'm feeling down but standing tall. Second by second, minute by minute, day by day, time is flying, and I am stuck in the hall, bored out of my mind, so I start to write. I'm close to the edge but holding tight. Can you tell me a little bit about what you were thinking when you wrote that? Can you um, describe what your state of mind was? I don't know. Just kind of, kind of lonely, kind of depressed, sad, all the things together. Because the reason I might say invisible man because it's just another another kid every day in the juvenile hall, you know, in and out, in and out. He's stuck. Yeah. He's stuck in here. You spent um, Christmas here. Yeah. And the whole holidays this year. Yeah. How'd that feel? Kind of kind of sad, depressing, but other than that, uh, happy because my, my months are going by quick. The days are flying, and I'm soon getting out. It's more hope. What do you think about um, when you think about the future? What kind well, of thoughts? I don't know. I, I hope, I hope, I wish, I hope to, to think the best. I mean, I do. Do you have any fantasies, any dreams? I've been reading some good books, though, and they talk about, I've been reading some good books about uh, universities and talk about people who are, like, going to big universities, colleges and stuff, and traveling around the world, going to places, you know, nowhere has been. Imagining myself being in those places, you know, traveling around the world, like, through the airplane, looking at the beautiful sea under, under, under the airplane, you know, through the window, at the sky. I mean, just life, you know, it's beautiful. So we just need to be out there. So you think you'll pursue that? Um, I'm hoping. I do my best, but I don't think I'm that. I'm a smart kid. I mean, I ain't gonna put me down, but but 
I'll do my best, you know. I'll do my best so I can get on top. On top. Um, I'd like you to read another piece that uh, you wrote for the program here. This one is called Blame. This is a short one. Okay. Blame. Gravity blames the rocks, turns them to dust. Gravity blames the rocks, turns them to dust. Talk about that one. Um, I would say that so we can't we can't be free, you know. We we have that that thing we could fly, we could go anywhere, you know. But gravity holds us down, keeps us there, keeps us stuck, you know. But you were also thinking about blame. I mean, blame is a big thing here in juvenile hall, right? Yeah. Somebody's to blame, usually, for these yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. Do you blame yourself a lot? Do people blame you? People blame me. Do you blame others? But really, I look at it like it's my fault, you know? I should have known better. I, I'm wrong, you know? I need to learn from my mistakes. And I can't be blaming others because I'm the one who's got myself into this. How did it feel to have your work uh, published, you know, in a magazine? Kind of, kind of interesting, because <laughs> I mean your own words, your own written words, or and this whole little, this magazine, you know, with many other people, um, other people see it, you know, other people might look at it, other other older people might, you know, who are thinking bad about you or something, and they might really realize at the end, like, you know, he just he needs help, you know, he really needs help. Could we be the persons to help him out, and? That's why I got Dennis, you know, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and he read through my, you know, and he came up to me, you know, and he, we sat down and talked a lot, you know, we sat down and talked a lot and he got, he got with me and start, we started working together for a bit. Yeah. So with, with Dennis Morton, who, um, uh, is part of this program, the beat within comes in and does group sessions and he also does one-on-one -on -one with people like you, you know, talk about writing and reading vocabulary had you had a relationship with an adult like that before? I mean, is that uh, unusual or is that for you? Uh, I never had a conversation like this with an adult. Maybe I talked to my brothers and sisters and that, but nothing like, nothing really positive, you know? Always something negative. And it, it was, it's a lot, it's interesting to be with someone who knows a lot about life and you know, he teaches me a lot of things, you know, so I get really happy when I'm with him because I'm learning something new every day. Dennis is a great man. What he does is really, you know, really powerful because he really comes up here and helps us. That was Ulysses, um, currently in Juvenile Hall in Santa Cruz County. Talking about you, Dennis. Yes. He had very kind words for you too, Jill. It seems as though your work there, Jill and Dennis, is appreciated. Sometimes you don't know it. Sometimes you you walk in on a Friday night and you hear a groan and you hear, oh, do we have to do this? And, uh, and then within, what, two minutes? Two yeah. minutes there. Okay, yeah, okay, let's write. Here's what I'm thinking about this week. So it, let, they're teenagers. You know, they're going to... Um, they're going to complain a little bit, and then they, they're going to get down to it. <laughs> and there are certainly times when they'd rather be out there on the court with a basketball or running around or doing doing other things. But uh, as Jill said, it doesn't take long to settle down. Well, you too. It's been a, a real pleasure learning more about this program and getting to uh, talk to you and to some of the kids who participate in it. Thank you so much for doing this. It's These are voices you don't hear very often on the radio or, or anywhere in public, and it's just really exciting. I can't wait to tell them that they're going to be on the radio. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Robert. And this has been the 7th Avenue Project on KUSP, with thanks today to Jill Wolfson, Dennis Morton, and the kids in the hall. To learn more about The Beat Within, go to beatwithin.org. That's beatwithin.org. And I want to mention that the Santa Cruz chapter of The Beat Within is in the midst of a fundraiser. It's called Books for the Beat. Some well-known Bay Area writers and poets have donated signed copies of their works, which are available as thank-you gifts for those who contribute to the program. 
You can find out more at beatwithinsantacruz.blogspot.com. And I'll run that past you again. It is beatwithinsantacruz, all one word, beatwithinsantacruz.blogspot.com. I'm Robert Polly signing off for this week. I'll return next Sunday at noon for another edition of the 7th Avenue Project. <laughs>